Sharon. This morning is the conclusion of uh, the series of sermons that we've been doing over the last couple of months on spiritual formation based on the Beatitudes from Matthew chapter 5, 1 to 12. And Pastor Caroline touched on verse 10 last week, and I'm going to pick it up and finish it off uh, with verse 11 and 12 on persecution. Spiritual formation is about becoming more like Christ. And the Beatitudes begin by saying that blessed are the poor in spirit. That when we come before God acknowledging that spiritually that you're bankrupt and zero, Jesus said yours is the kingdom of heaven. And then you mourn over your sin. It's a godly sorrow that produces repentance. And Jesus said you'll be comforted. And you become meek. When you're meek, you inherit the earth. And then the first sets of Beatitudes, there are two sets in sets of four. Uh, it ends up by saying, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Inward journey. That begins when we inwardly come to God that way. And then when we become more over our sin, we become poverty in spirit, we become meek, we pursue after righteousness, then we will go outward we begin to become merciful, for we will be shown mercy. We become purity of heart, because single-mindedness pursuing after God. And you become a peacemaker, because you are the sons of God. And then, towards the end of it all, if you pursue this life, to which Christ calls you to do, what should you expect? What lies ahead of you, if you do that, to that question, Jesus gives two answers. You will be persecuted by the world, and at the same time, you will be blessed by God. So let me read to you the last section of it, of the Beatitude. Last one, blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. It's quite interesting that the first beatitude uh, says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And the conclusion of the eighth beatitude also says that blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. It's almost like saying that that is what a Christian ought to be. You become more like Christ. That is what, not work, but grace that yours is the kingdom of heaven. You're supposed to live that kind of life when you come before the Lord. There must be some changes in your life, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And this is the only beatitude that Jesus explained further. The rest of the beatitude, just pronouncement, that's it. But this particular last beatitude, Jesus explained this beatitude. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And then Jesus went on to say, Blessed are you, become personalized. Blessed are you when people insult you, when people persecute you, when people falsely say all kind of evil against you because of me. Same as because of righteousness is verse 10, it says. Now it says because of me. 
when people insult you, when people persecute you, when people falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. And then Jesus said, well, rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way, they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So when you live this kind of life, Jesus said you will be persecuted as well as you will be blessed. What I want to do this morning for the time that I have is to begin by saying that opposition is a normal experience of the Christian and you and I should expect it. When you normalize things, then you will not be shocked or surprised. When you pitch your expectation, because disappointment comes from unmet expectations, and when you expect to be persecuted, and when you are persecuted, you don't have to feel very frustrated about it because you expect that to happen anyway. So opposition is a normal experience of the Christian, and you and I should expect it. I want to show you in a couple of ways. The first one is to think about individual people in the Bible. Persecution for righteousness' sake began in the first family. Adam and Eve had just two boys, Cain and Abel. But Cain persecuted his own brother and then he murdered him. Why did Cain kill Abel? It wasn't just a fight that got out of control. He actually murdered and killed him. 1 John actually explained to us the reason why Cain murdered Abel. It says here, Do not be like Cain, who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. Not manslaughter, okay? Murder. And why did he murder him? John said, because his own actions were evil and his brothers were righteous. The second man born into the world was the first martyr to be persecuted and killed for righteousness' sake. Abel set the pattern for those who were to come. And this pattern of opposition, harassment, suffering runs throughout human history, through our experience around the world today. W. Pink a biblical scholar gives the role of honor those who have been persecuted for righteousness' sake. This is what he said. He said, Joseph was persecuted by his brothers and in Egypt, he was cast into prison for righteousness' sake. Moses was reviled again and again. Samuel was rejected. Elijah was despised and persecuted. Nehemiah was oppressed and defamed. Stephen was stoned. Peter and John were cast into prison. James was beheaded. And the entire cause of the apostles, Paul's Christian life and ministry was one long series of bitter and relentless persecutions. So think about the individual in the Bible. And then secondly, think about the churches in the Bible. I'll give you a few. In Philippi, in Philippians, here Paul says, For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ not only to believe in Him, but also to suffer for Him. And in Thessalonica, Therefore among God's churches we boast about our perseverance and faith in all the persecutions and trials you are enduring. 
in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia. Paul say, uh, Peter says this, Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery deal or deal that has come on you to test you as those suffering, as though something strange were happening to you. Normal. Individuals suffer, churches suffer. And Paul says to Timothy, which Pastor Caroline highlighted in verse 12 of chapter 3, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus maybe will be persecuted. Yes, thank you. Will be persecuted. Will be persecuted. Anyone, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. So you think about individuals, you think about churches, you think about the Lord Jesus Christ, Christ personified, incarnated, lived out every one of these beatitudes and look what the world did to him. John 15 said, No servant is greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. So the eighth beatitude sets an expectation quite clearly, reflected throughout the whole Bible, for a normal Christian life. Those who follow Christ will be blessed by God, and hated by the world. And then, your persecution of God's people is one of the best attested facts in history. Throughout history, after the gospel went out, a lot of God's people were persecuted. Look at Hebrews chapter 11. Some faced jeers and flogging, and even chains and imprisonment. They were put to death by stoning. They were sawed in two. Many scholars say that was Jeremiah. They were killed by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts, in mountains, living in caves, in holes, in the ground, and on and on and on. So persecution of God's people is one of the best attested facts in history. Vicious opposition to those early Christians was personified in Nero, as we know, one of the, I think it was fifth or sixth Roman emperor, for 14 years. He became an emperor at the age of 16 years old. And he died at the age of 30, committed suicide. And he was one of the worst Roman emperors ever. Under his instruction, thousands of Christians were flung to the lions or burned at stake. William Barclay, a Scottish Bible commentator, says this. He said, Nero wrapped the Christian in pitch and set them alight. And he used them as living torches to light his gardens. He sowed them in the skins of wild animals and he set his hunting dogs upon them to tear them to death. They were tortured on the rack. They were scraped with pencil. Molten lead was Paul hissing upon them. Red hot brass plates were affixed to the tenderest parts of their bodies. Eyes were torn out. 
parts of their bodies were cut off and roasted before their eyes. Their hands and feet were burned, while cold water was poured over them to lengthen the agony. Christian suffered tremendously under Nero. He's such a weird man. He even murdered, he even killed his own mother after he sat on the throne for four years or five years, I can't remember. And this serves as powerful reminders that the world is implacably opposed to genuine Christianity and that God's children can expect no favours from those who are his enemies. In the 14th century, the relentless suppression of John Wycliffe and his followers. You read church history. In the 15th century, reformer John Haas, who was burned at stake at Bo- at, in Bohemia, and the courageous Savonarola, who was executed in Italy. In the 16th century, thousands and thousands of Anabaptists were slaughtered in Europe. Martin Luther was condemned and outlawed, and William Tyndall, who first translated the Bible from Hebrew and Greek into English, was strangled and burned to death in Belgium. And in the same century, Henry VIII's daughters, Mary Tudor, known as Bloody Mary, had hundreds of Christians, including great evangelical leader Thomas Cramer, burned at stake for their loyalty to the gospel. Right throughout history, And even in the 20th century, 19th century, German philosopher Karl Marx wrote these words. He said, man makes religion. Religion does not make man. It is the opiate of the people. The people cannot really be happy until it has been deprived of illusory happiness by the abolition of religion. And some 80 years later, the Russian revolutionary leader, Nikolai Lenin, Karl Marx's most influential followers, endorsed this philosophy and went on to say, everyone must be an atheist. We will never achieve our goal until the myth of God has been removed from the thoughts of man. And they slaughtered millions and millions of people. Not only in Eastern Europe, but in China, Latin America, and many other places. Persecution of God's people is one of the best attested facts in history. And now continue. It continues. We may not feel it at this part of the world, not necessarily in terms of physical persecution, but I predicted it won't be too long as we continue to adopt many, many worldly values into the government system and very soon to say that someone is a sinner, it is a hate speech. It's a matter of times. And then, where do we preach the gospel from then on? But persecution always has a sanctifying effect on the church. It is always a sanctifying effect on the church. It cleanses, it purges, it makes people become more fervent. I read the story of listening to uh, Ajit Fernandos from Sri Lanka. Uh, talks about Sri Lankan churches, how through persecution it actually sanctified the church. The Christians suddenly become closer. 
suddenly they become more serious of their faith. It has the potential as a sanctifying effect on the church when we go through persecution. Maybe you get to live to see it. We don't know. We don't know. But definitely, I think it won't be too long before the West has the persecution as well. And here, Jesus went on to say this. He said, Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of eager against you because of me. So here, the outcome of persecution, there is a reward here. The reward is you are blessed. Makarios, you are pleased. God is pleased with you. The applause of heaven, heaven's applause when you live that kind of life and as a result of that, people persecute you. Blessed are you. You bring a smile to God's face. But what sort of exactly the kind of blessing when we go through suffering, unless you yourself have been through it, you cannot speak. But I, I found few verses in the Bible to describe that kind of blessing. Uh, you remember the story of Daniel? Uh, that they found there is some sort of the fellowship with Christ found in suffering that is greater than you will find anywhere else. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, when they were thrown into the fire, and the Son of God walks with them. There's some sort of a God's presence that you're drawn towards that you cannot explain. And 1 Peter seems to indicate that as well. If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed. How? For the Spirit of glory and of God rests on you. There is some sort of a fellowship that the presence of Christ is so real to you when you go through suffering, when you stand up for Christ, that it can't be explained. New Living Translation said, The glorious Spirit of God rests on you. John Bunyan, the man who wrote Pilgrim Progress, they say classic book. Classic book is a book that people, everybody knows, but nobody reads, they say. Uh, John Bunyan uh, was imprisoned for 12 years in Bedford, England, because he preached the gospel. The Anglican, the Church of England, wants everybody to come under the Church of England, but there are some other churches refused to go under that, and they continued to go to the street to preach, and he was thrown into prison for 12 years. His wife and nine children, and one of whom was blind. And this is what he said in prison. He said, After I had been a Christian for a long time and had been preaching for so many years, I was arrested at a meeting of good people in the country. I have never in my life, I have never in all my life had so much of the Word of God open up so plainly to me before. Those scriptures that I saw nothing particular in before have been made in this place to shine upon me. Also, Jesus Christ was never more real to me than now. Here, I have seen and felt Him indeed. So you are blessed because the presence of God is so near to you that you felt it. And not only the presence of God and the blessed, but you have a reward, isn't it? It says here, rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. 
And you begin to wonder what sort of a reward we'll get. It's never spelled out in the Bible at all. Uh, although there is a hint, a hint in Luke chapter 19 on the parable about uh, uh, good steward, you, you are rewarded 10 cities, you rule over 10 cities, 5 cities, and all that. So maybe the reward is not necessarily in, in kinds, but in degrees. I don't know. It's just, uh, but there is extra rewards because in, in, in uh, Matthew chapter 10, the verse that we are all very familiar with, that if you give a cup of cold water even to stranger, what happened? That's right. That the person will certainly not lose their reward. What does that mean? means if there's a reward for this act, it must mean that there is something gained for doing it that would not have been gained if you did not do it. And in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus said, Lay up treasure in heaven. He seems to be saying that it is possible to have more rather than less in heaven. So our good, work, work, good works are rewards, not saved, you know, not salvation. Christian, our, when we stand before God, it's about rewards. It's not about whether you go to heaven or hell. So if Jesus said, lay up your treasure in heaven, he seems to be saying that I could choose to have more there and less here. Or I could choose to have more here and less there because you can lay up your treasures in heaven. Either way, what I do here makes a difference to what I have there. So we don't know exactly what, will be what kind of rewards. As I said, probably is in degree rather than in kind. Uh, we only will find out when we see God. For the remaining... 15 minutes or so, that the time that I have, I want to cover this part of it for application to you and I. What if I am not being persecuted? I mean, how many of us are really being persecuted? How many of us have been to jail because of Jesus Christ? We have never. I've never done that before. So what if I am not being persecuted? What should I do? What should I do if I'm not being persecuted? I have five suggestions for you. I mean, the reward of those who are persecuted, insulted, and rebelled is great. Where does that leave us who are so blessed with the gifts of freedom and the privileges that we enjoy here? For all the changes that are happening, we are blessed in an unprecedented way in this country and most believers in the history of the world could only have dreamed about. So are we missing out some sort of a blessing if we are not being persecuted? What to do when you are not being persecuted? I have five things, five suggestions for you before I close. The first thing is be thankful for the blessings of peace and freedom. Be thankful to God. Because 1 Timothy chapter 2 tells us something. It says, I urge you that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead peaceful and quiet lives, 
godly and dignified in every way. So a peaceful and quiet life is something to pray for and something to be thankful for. We are not to make ourselves obnoxious to attract persecution unnecessarily. We don't have to purposely do that just to gain some blessing and extra reward in heaven. Uh, after all, we, are, we need to be, we only be blessed and rewarded for righteousness' sake and because of me, Jesus says. So if we are not being persecuted, we should be thankful to God for the blessings of peace and freedom. The second, the second point is remember those who are persecuted. Remember those who are persecuted. Hebrews chapter 13. The author of Hebrew, we do not know who, wrote during the time when Christians were under persecutions and many Christians want to return back to Judaism because not only the, the Roman Empire, the government is persecuting them, even Judaism, the Jewish people are also persecuting them and there was a great temptation to return to Judaism. And here, uh, the author said, continue to remember those in prison as if you were together with them in prison and those who are mistreated as if you yourselves were suffering. Paul says, I mean not Paul, the author of Hebrews simply says, well, you have the freedom, but remember those who are in prison. Remember those who are mistreated as if you yourselves were suffering because we are all brothers and sisters in Christ. We are all in kingdom. Don't think churches, think kingdom. We are part of the one body. And therefore, we support mission, we give to mission simply because we are all one in Christ. And so here, I may encourage you what to do when you are not be being persecuted. Remember those who are persecuted. Come for a mission prayer meeting. Remember these people abroad who are suffering, who are laboring in the Lord in very difficult circumstances. Remember them. Pray for them. Support them. Emotionally engage. Try to feel what they must be going through. It. And thirdly, what to do when you are not being persecuted? Make sure you are doing what is right. Make sure you are doing what is right. As we have been constantly mentioning, blessed are, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. We are thinking about what to do when you are not persecuted. One thing is to check, am I really living a righteous life? If there's not much persecution, could it be that the reason is that there's not much righteousness? Maybe I'm already blend in to the society, to the worldly value. I already blend in. And I just blend in, you know. I just don't... Don't stand up for what I believe. I used to play a lot of badminton. I stopped about five years ago. And uh, sometimes people play sport, they swear. And for some reason, they love to swear in the name of Jesus. I've never heard people swear on Muhammad or Buddha or Hare Krishna, for that matter. But for some reason, they only swear Jesus. 
And every time I partner someone, whenever they swear, I say, he's a great guy, he's my God. You should know him. Sometimes we just need to, if you're not being persecuted, is it because you blend in into the world already? After verse 12, verse 13 onwards, it's about salt and light. Jesus thought about hiding your light under a basket. Here's the light of Christ in a person, but you're hiding it under a basket so no one can see it. You are the light of the world, Jesus said. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light up a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. You know, we can always reduce pain by withdrawing from the world. Nobody knows you're a Christian at school. You may avoid a lot of trouble or in the workplace. But Jesus says that the light must shine. God says to us, you are the salt of the earth. The salt must be in the meat. Before the days of refrigeration, it is salt that preserves meat. Rebecca Pippet wrote a book called Out of the Salt Shaker. What a good title to the book. Out of Salt Shaker. That was a brilliant title and her point was very simple. It is no use keeping the salt in the salt shaker. It has to be shaken out into the meat. Christians can avoid a lot of trouble but miss the opportunity for influence. And the challenge for all of us is living an authentic Christian life before unbelieving and sometimes hostile people in the world. So what to do when you are not persecuted? We may have to ask ourselves whether we are living rightly. Fourthly, what to do when you are not being persecuted? Persevere in the face of difficulty and opposition. Persevere in the face of difficulty and opposition. One of the easiest ways to avoid pain, to avoid persecution, to avoid trouble, to avoid opposition is to move on whenever it surfaces. It's easy, isn't it? When there's a bit of problem, you move on. Some Christians remain spiritual infants because they have formed the habit of always taking the easier path. And one thing our culture offers more than any other in the world is choice. Every time my wife asks me to buy something, I have to specifically ask her very clearly what brand, everything. Many times, say, buy coconut milk, I go there, there are 10 coconut milks. Which one? So I've learned over time, when she asked me to buy something, she needs to spell out very clearly because there are choices there. There are too many choices there. And that seeps into our, our lives. In every area of our life, we have choices of doctors, choices of churches, choices of schools. And young people grow up in a culture that we cannot say there is no choice. That some of us, we grow up in a culture where we can say you have to put up with it because there's no choice. 
But nowadays, we can't use that word because the reality is there are choices. Many and plenty of choices. There are great blessings of life, but here's the problem that comes with it. Living in a choice culture, if I experience difficulty in one place, I can easily move to another. If things get difficult in my job, I can quit and find another one. In a culture geared to comfort and convenience, it is easy to form the habit of always choosing the easiest path. And sometimes we reason like, I've got to do what's best for me and my family. I think it's a very understandable phrase. I've used it myself, but it is often means what's going to be easiest for me and my family. The problem is that what's easiest for me and my family is, isn't always what's best. I comment and quote from Ajit Fernando again. He commenting on culture, he says this. He says, somehow there seems to be this idea that if you are suffering, you are doing something wrong. The problem is compounded by the mobility of affluent people today. As people keep changing from job to job, from neighborhood to neighborhood, and from church to church, long-term commitments are becoming a culturally rare phenomenon. It is when you stick to your call, however hard it is, that you encounter the type of suffering that contributes to great mission. Can I repeat that again? It is when you stick to your call, however hard it is, that you encounter the type of suffering that contributes to great mission. And I say that for myself as a pastor. Now many pastors hop around two, three years, five years and move on. But I believe in staying in a place long. However difficult it may be, stick around. Stick around. Because that itself, the type of suffering that contributes to great missions. However, he went on to say, however, people are used to moving from place to place based on convenience, on the opportunity to be more productive, and on escaping from suffering and unpleasant relationships. So they may, so they may move when they are confronted with suffering. Persevering through inconvenience, struggling to be productive against many odds, taking on suffering, sticking to unpleasant relationships are what combine to produce great missions. And, and we need that. It's easy to divorce, walk out of relationship. And we use Bible to, 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 to say, oh, unless it is committed adultery, you can go. Which the exception clause, isn't it? My ethics professor used to say that one can interpret as even if it is adulterous, you work through it. Even though you're giving the permission to do that, you still should leave it to the very last of your ounce of energy working through it. And so when we hang around, it builds your inner life. You keep on cutting and jumping off, you will never grow. You will forever remain as an infant, as a Christian. You will never grow. 
Now, my time is quickly running out. I would love to, to look into this part of Should we then try to escape persecution when we are persecuted? Because there are verses in the Bible that Jesus says in Matthew, for example, uh, says that you should. Matthew 10, 23, it seems to tell us that if you encounter, if this city do not uh, uh, accept you, go to another city. It says here, let me, let me read to you. Yeah, in 10.23, Matthew 10.23. Uh, let me read to you John Bunyan, okay? John Bunyan, because he was in prison for 12 years and uh, he was given, uh, people was asking him, should we flee persecution? You should think that because he stood up for it and went to prison, he'll be very hard line, you know, in his approach to, to answering that question. But he actually was very gracious. He was very, very gracious. Uh, he says this, I mean, you might expect that a man with courage like that, writing from his prison cell, would call others always to take the harder path. But when he wrote on this subject about whether you should flee persecution or not, his counsel is wonderfully tender and spiritually wise. He begins by quoting Matthew chapter 10, verse 16. Behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves to be wise as serpent and to be innocent as doves. And then he went on to say in Matthew chapter 10, 23, he said, if they persecute you in one city, flee to another. So there is, there is a biblical warrant for taking an easier path in, in, in that sense. And the question is, how do you know when you should stand or when you should fly? And this is what John Bayan said, you may, you may do this even as it is in your heart. If it is in your heart to fly, you fly. If it is in your heart to stand, you stand. Anything but a denial of the truth. He that flies has warrant to do so. He that stands has warrant to do so. Yes, the same man may be different times fly and stand as the call and working of God with his heart may be. So sometimes we flee, sometimes we stand. Sometimes under persecution we may have to go. Sometimes under persecution we may have to stay put. And then he went on to quote various Bible verses and say, Moses fled at times, but Moses stood. David fled, but David stood. Jeremiah fled, Jeremiah stood. Christ withdrew himself, Christ stood. Paul fled, but other times Paul stood. Remember Paul was let down in a basket to escape, run away for, to another town? Uh, for those who did KYB in the book of Acts. So persevere. When you're not per, uh, persecuted, persevere in the face of difficulty and opposition. Hang around. It might strengthen you in your life. Lastly, before I close, lastly, I think for us who are not being persecuted here, we can stretch ourselves in costly obedience to Christ. Stretch yourself to, in costly obedience to to Christ. Don't allow comfort and convenience to seep and suck out the passion in your heart for the Lord. Comfort and convenience has a very strange way to dull our passion for Jesus Christ. <coughs> Stretch yourself in costly obedience to Christ. Jesus says in John chapter 10, 10 verse 18, no one takes it from me, as in my life, but I laid it down on my own accord. And same thing, costly obedience, you, it's your choice to do it. 
stretch yourself in costly obedience in the time of comfort and convenience for the Lord's kingdom. If no one takes my life from me, I want at least to be able to say in the presence of Jesus that I chose to lay it down as a living sacrifice. As Romans chapter 12 says that. You know, I do not want to meet Jesus Christ, my Savior, who, who gave everything for me, having lived a life that was without cause for Him. I want to respond to these freedoms and blessings by stretching myself out in every way possible in costly obedience. And I want us to be the kind of church. What a tragedy that those who have been blessed the most would do the least for Christ. What a tragedy that those of us who have been blessed the most did the least for Christ. And so in the midst of comfort, freedom, stretch, stretch ourselves in costly obedience to Christ. And that is why sometimes fasting, giving, serving, these are ways to stretch yourself of costly obedience and it is so important to our spiritual health. Otherwise, comfort, convenience will seep in. We will complain about the most trivial things at church. The most trivial things. We have lost focus if that happens. If others who are my brothers and sisters in Christ have the goods that their livelihoods taken by force, then I can choose to release a generous proportion of mine and lay it at the feet of Jesus for them. If my brothers and sisters in Christ elsewhere are in prison while I'm free, I can offer every day of their freedom with all the strength that God gives me to extend myself without complaint for the work of His kingdom. If other Christians who are my brothers and sisters are exhausted with pains and beatings and torture in elsewhere, I can press through the tightness and discouragement I often feel and go on in what God has called me to do, and so can you. And so stretch ourselves with costly obedience for Jesus. Don't allow... Uh, Certain words, don't allow the word sacrifice to enter your lips when you do things for Jesus. Consider it as a privilege and an honor. And Jesus said, great will be your, great will be your rewards in heaven. So those are the five things that I want to part for you. Uh, we live here are so comfortable. We have no physical types of persecution. And those are five points that we can ponder through and stretch ourselves for Jesus' sake. Many years ago, let me close with this, a pastor by the name of Joseph Parker, he spoke about how Doubting Thomas, remember Doubting Thomas, the story of Doubting Thomas? He came to faith after the resurrection of Jesus Christ, but he was not there. He was so disillusioned about Christ's death. And then he said this, isn't it? The famous words. That's why he gained this name, Doubting Thomas. He said, unless I see the prints of the nail in his hands, I will not believe. And Joseph Parker said this. He said, what Thomas said of Christ, 
the unbelieving world is saying about the church today. It's an anti-climax, man. Can you help me, Bruce? Next slide, the final slide. This is what this is what Joseph Parker said about Thomas. What Thomas said of Christ, the unbelieving world is saying about the church today. Unless I see your hands, the prints of the nail, I will not believe. Unless I see in your hands the prints of the nails, I will not believe. And that to me is the most powerful gospel proclamation. And that is why you read the history of Sri Lanka. It's through persecution that sanctified the church. And people become very incredibly drawn to Christ because of their faith. I, unless I see in your hands the prints of the nails, I will not believe. Father, we just want to thank you for your word. We thank you that persecution for the believers is the norm. It's the norm. Uh, help us to be courageous to stand up for you. Help us to be courageous to live for you. Help us not to be timid. And help us to be, not to be deliberately attracting persecution. There's no, there's no reward there at all. We should be only persecuted because of righteousness' sake, because of Jesus, because we live that kind of life. We are merciful, we are forgiving. How strange that, that, that we can live that kind of life and yet being persecuted. That tells us how far the world has become, in a sense. There's such beautiful virtues exemplified in Jesus Christ. They nail Him to the cross. And we, your children, your disciples, your followers, are not exempted as well. So we ask for courage. We ask for, for your grace to be upon us. We thank you for this series that we have done. Uh, help us, Lord, not to let it fall on the side like the parable of the sower, that the seed, the word, will fall on good grounds, that it will grow and bear fruits in our lives. As we close, as we sing this song, Lord, uh, we want to start with the first Beatitudes. It begins when we come before you, acknowledging that we are weak, we are poor, we are spiritually bankrupt. And when we come to you before that, then the rest of the thing will begin to fall in praise. As we sing this closing song, Lord, uh, may we humbly come before you and sing this as a prayer. And the power of love will flow through us and transform us from within. Thank you, Lord. We bless you. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand as we uh, close off?